This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as Line of Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26, 2022. It's from the track Real-Time Payments, How Fintech is Not Waiting for the Fed, sponsored by Visa and is titled The Next Wave of Mainstream Adoption, Bridging Crypto and Cash. Speaking on a session are Larry Angelilli from MoneyGram, Justin Rice from Stellar Development Foundation, with moderator Robin Nunn from Morgan Lewis. Welcome, everybody. Um, we've only got 20 minutes together, so this is going to be a lot of fun and a lot of interactive. Um, my panelists, um, Larry and Justin, have said that they are excited um, about um, taking questions from the audience, so I invite you all to stump them. Um, there is a QR code up there, and you'll be able to use it and type out questions, and then they'll shoot over magically to John, and John will read them out. Now, if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, you you can raise your hand and John will run over to you and he'll ask you um, to ask your question into the mic. So your choice. But again, we are encouraging questions and we're looking forward to the next 18 minutes together today. Um, I'll start off by, I guess, introducing myself first. I'm Robin. Um, I am a partner at Morgan Lewis and co-head of the banking group. I am joined to my immediate right by Larry Angelelli. Um, he is the chief financial officer at my Graham, one of the world's leading brands that powers cross-border transactions, having served more than 150 million people um, over the past five years. And to his right, we have Justin Rice. He's the vice president of ecosystem at the Stellar Development Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that supports the development and growth of Stellar, um, which is an open source network that connects the world's financial financial infrastructure. Um, really happy to be up here with them. We've all been having a fantastic conference. Before I ask them what you know parties they got into last night, let's start with a more substantive question. <laughs> See, Larry looked at me, right? He was he was a little like, whoa. <laughs> I didn't go to a party last night. <laughs> he did not go to Off a party limits. last night. <laughs> so we'll stay on limits and talk a little bit about you know what we're all sort of here, you know, to sort of thinking about. And 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 that's what we we're seeing recently in the headlines with respect to the importance of cash and how many are looking for more opportunities to access financial um, um, access. And one example that I think that's been very much in the news in the last year is with respect to El Salvador. Um, I think a lot of us have heard that the president has introduced Bitcoin as a legal tender. And that's you know, kind of going along with the sort of, I think, mixed reviews. Um, my understanding that reaching people in the cash economy that might not necessarily have access to it um, and may benefit from the access is a huge piece of the partnership and related to the problems that, you know, you guys are setting out to solve with your respective roles. Um, would either one of you want to jump in first and talk a little bit about that, those efforts? Sure. Well, we have a big business uh, to El Salvador, and when that news came came out like it was all over the place and everybody thought here it is you know this is the blockchain crypto real life uh, example of how it's going to change the world um, El Salvador is a very interesting case because they don't have their own currency they're a US dollar denominated uh, country 
uh, 25% of their GNP or just under 25% of their GNP comes from remittances into the country. So you have an opportunity where you have a country that didn't need to protect its own currency. It's almost universally known that every citizen of the country has some link to an inbound uh, remittance. And so I think the government was all excited about that this was a real opportunity to change the world. And it doesn't necessarily apply to other countries, by the way. Um, you know, I think that this is a almost like a poster child for the confusion that people have between blockchain and cryptocurrency. And, they all, and it also started mixing things up about what is Bitcoin and, and why should you use it? And the country almost promoted it as sort of an investment vehicle that was going to always appreciate. Um, and they moved a lot of citizens into the cryptocurrency. They put vast amounts of their own country's reserves into Bitcoin. Um, it would be the equivalent, I would say, as if like Canada said, you know what, we're just going to take, we have a view that, you know, the Moroccan Durham is going to appreciate versus the dollar, and we're just going to put our reserves in Moroccan Durham. In this case, they, they put in a Bitcoin. And I think people confused it with, oh, this is progress, this is turning into a new world of remittances. Um, interestingly enough, during this whole thing, when everybody was forecasting that, like, cash was dead and the remittances are going to all go this way. Our business actually increased. Um, we've actually had, um, you know, a very good growth rate actually to El Salvador. And one of the things that drove that, and I think this is important to this technology going forward, is that it was advertised as being cheaper or free and ultimately there's a tremendous amount of friction and there's actually a cost associated with trading cryptocurrencies regardless of which one it is. So this is almost like a real-life example of pressure testing this new technology. There's some really interesting things that they did. They created their own wallet. That turned out to be sort of a hacker's paradise, and that, that hasn't worked out really well either. But it doesn't, I, I don't think it takes away from the fact that this is, this is a technology that's potential. It works. It has huge potential to change the way money moves cross-border. And maybe it's a little bit of a lesson in terms of, you know, first movers sometimes, you know, have the, uh, the mistakes and you can maybe improve things based on what comes next. But I, I think it didn't live up to his expectations. Um, I think it's still a risky bet for the country. Um, we're all over it because actually we're in that market every day. Justin, what about you? What are your thoughts? I mean, I, th I think for me what's interesting is that there was, there, there does feel like a, a need in the world for people who are stranded in a cash economy to be able to access digital assets. And I think that's a lot of what this partnership enables. Um, you know, there are disadvantages to just living in a cash, to living a cash only existence, right? Like cash is dangerous, theft, loss. You can't build credit necessarily by holding cash. Um, it can be difficult to make payments, cross-border payments with cash. And so you need some sort of vehicle to be able to actually not just move money across borders, which MoneyGram has always done so well, but from, from sort of the, the perspective of the Stellar Development Foundation, where our goal is to increase access to financial, um, to the, to, or, yeah, increase access to the world's financial infrastructure. Um, there's this moment when you can allow people 
to move their cash into a digital asset, and by doing so, you can give them access to financial products that they didn't have before. And like, what's definitely interesting about this particular partnership, which was not necessarily true in El Salvador with the transition to Bitcoin, is that it allows people to take cash that's in their wallets, use MoneyGram agents to get these digital assets, and they can actually hold um, as digital assets that represent um, fiat currencies that they wouldn't have had access to before, specifically to USDC, which is a reserve-backed stablecoin. Um, Actually, you know, that's a that's a, an interesting segue because I know some of the other things we want to talk about, but there is a marriage here that that it, that it's not exclusive. That I think what people are saying is like, oh, that there's this sort of disruptive or displaced technology, and what really what we've discovered, I think, as a as partners, is that there's this marriage between traditional cash economies and using blockchain and using cryptocurrency, they're not mutually exclusive. And I think that that's what El Salvador actually showed us, is that there is a better way. You don't have to be exclusive one way or the other. And that brings up a good point. We've talked about El Salvador. Now let's talk about what you guys are working on. Um, can you give us a high level, what's going on, what's the value of the different types of consumers perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at a high level, I can just sort of explain how, how the integration works and what it enables people to do. Um, Stellar is, is a blockchain network that's been around since 2015. It's a distributed ledger that allows people to issue assets. Um, and many of the assets issued on Stellar, as I mentioned, are, are stable coins. One of the biggest ones is, uh, is issued by a company called Circle. It's USDC. Um, it is actually, you know, pegged to dollars held in reserve and they publish attestations and audits so that people can verify that. So the network allows the issuance of this particular kind of asset. Um, and then it allows people to build applications like any developer can build an application that takes advantage of that asset and they can build wallets um, specifically or build into any existing application sort of payment rails that access Stellar. And so there's a whole world of app developers that are building on the network. But what was missing before um, was the ability to essentially enter into that network through cash endpoints. Like if you held cash in your hand, it was not necessarily easy to get that cash into the digital assets so that you could hold it in your wallet so that you could take advantage of the applications built on the network. And with MoneyGram, you know, they have, you said 150 million customers, hundreds of thousands of agent locations. And now, since they've integrated with Stellar, any application built on Stellar can essentially access the MoneyGram server, serve a web app to their user, and their user can essentially use their app to, to initiate a deposit, walk into a MoneyGram location, put money on the counter, and end up with a balance in their digital wallet pretty much anywhere in the world, from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe, anywhere that MoneyGram has agents, which is... It's astounding, the reach. And when you have that, not only can you cash in, you can also cash out, right? So people can make payments to themselves, or they, they can withdraw from digital wallets. They can make payments to other people who hold digital wallets. And suddenly, there's this instant ability to connect the world and to actually take advantage of the blockchain rails that have long suffered from having difficult cash in and cash out. And it's pretty transformative for developers building on Stellar and also for the consumers that use the products that those developers build. And, you know, the last two weeks um, have kind of showed that not all stable coins are created equal. Um, and when we were, were dealing with, with Stellar, you know, we looked at stable coins pretty deeply. And at the time, um, you know, we, we are basically very, we have to be sort of conservative from a credit perspective. And our view 
was that stable coins were a credit product. That, that it isn't, it's sort of like commercial paper. There has to be a liquidation scenario for your stable coin or it's not going to be stable. And it was for a while and we studied it. But when we really got inside of this and looked under the hood, we looked at USDC as really the only stable coin that actually was properly collateralized, was a self-liquidating instrument, and that was not at risk of breaking the buck. And I think that's crucial because what's happened now is that, you know, stable coins, when you can lose 95% of your money on a stable coin, doesn't sound very stable. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and what we did was we couldn't take that chance because... One of the things also about this technology is it's not just moving your money, it's moving our money. What we're using the Stellar Network for is to actually improve the liquidity of our own balance sheet, to shrink our balance sheet down, to accelerate the time that it takes for us to settle. You know, one of the things that we kind of smile about all the time is that MoneyGram and other companies like MoneyGram, this is unique to MoneyGram, we offer an instant service. Like people say, oh my God, it's like so slow. Well, actually it isn't, like it's instant. Um, but what this technology does is it matches it off. It means that we're taking risk away from ourselves, that we can use blockchain and a stable coin to accelerate our receivables, to shrink our balance sheet down, and to actually match off rather than net fund, which is what we do today, all these foreign currencies. Um, the potential is enormous, and but it has to be done in a very responsible and, and it way, and it also has to reflect that there's credit risk in cryptocurrencies. And I think going back to uh, El Salvador, like, you know, Bitcoin has credit risk. Bitcoin has basis risk. USDC should not, and as far as we understand, doesn't um, have those kinds of risks, which makes it a completely different animal and way more um, utilitarian in terms of the kind of technology that we're building here. And we're starting to see a lot of questions, um, and that's great. Um, so I can let John ask some questions. I can let you guys read and answer the questions that you would like to answer, um, or we can go to my questions. Um, so you can we, do a mix of all three. <laughs> let's do that. Okay, John, uh, you first. I'll start. Uh, uh, why did MoneyGram shift its partnership from Ripple to Stellar? Well, it wasn't a shift, really. Um, so, and, and the technologies have absolutely nothing in common other than they use the word blockchain and cryptocurrency. But um, we were using Ripple for actually a, kind of an alternative to foreign exchange markets. It really had nothing to do with any uh, consumer-facing technology. It was really just a really quick way to trade certain currencies and we trade about a billion and a half dollars a month in foreign exchange and so it was something that we really were excited about and it was something that seemed pretty cool at the time until the SEC came in and kind of uh, made that market dysfunctional. So what happened was we really 
we had to terminate that contract because markets weren't functioning for their token in the United States, and so we couldn't trade it. Uh, when Stellar came along, it's it's completely different. It uses a stable coin. It's actually also related to individual consumer transactions and actually doesn't have anything to do with foreign exchange. It actually um, is sort of a streamlined approach of actually settling our own transactions. So they're really separate. And conceivably, we could probably do both at the same time, and they wouldn't even know. But it really wasn't a, a, it wasn't a transformation. It wasn't a flip. Yeah, I think sometimes there's some idea that there's a there's an opposition between Ripple and Stellar. They're often talked about in the same breath, and they do have something in common. They, they, they do share a founder. Um, they're fully different code bases with you know very different views of the world, but it makes sense to me, like when I think about it, that MoneyGram, who is the, a company that's interested in experimenting with like innovative technology, with blockchain technology, would try different things, you know, and some experiments work for them and some don't. Um, and so I, I do feel like there's sort of a false dichotomy that people often imagine, but really it's just like two different things that can sort of, could, that could work in tandem. Um, well, and, and you know, if anybody was going to do it, you know, it had to be us because we move, just to give you a sense, if you're looking for a practical application for blockchain and cryptocurrency, I mean, on an average day, MoneyGram is moving, you know, more than a quarter of a billion dollars every day. Um, so when you see this kind of new stuff and it can actually speed things up or, you know, or offer some sort of streamlining or even cost reduction, we're going to be all over it. And I think those two offered that opportunity. And, you know, we're, we're all ears when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah. I, I, one other thing, I think that from like the sort of stellar perspective, from the ecosystem, stellar ecosystem perspective, I think what a lot of people are excited about with MoneyGram isn't so much that Stellar is replacing any internal rails. It's that the ecosystem, the people that build applications on top of Stellar get access to this whole network of MoneyGram agents, um, which again, I think is transformative for developers in the ecosystem. I'll go, or John, do you, you look like you want to go. go well, I'm just <laughs> looking at the clock, and we have three minutes, and we have oh my God. six fantastic questions. We do. Uh, I'm going to pick the least, what I perceive to be the least complicated. Well, that's pretty complicated. Okay. Uh, I'll let you guys pick. Are you able to read the screen from there? I can, but I feel like I should let yeah. Larry and, and Justin try. I see one here where, can you explain what you meant by USDC having a liquidation method that works? So what happens, I can answer this really quick. Um, it's, it's a U.S. dollar coin that's supported by U.S. Treasury assets. So there's a match. Number one, your currency to currency match. Number two, you have a risk-free, credit risk-free um, match off too. And then what happens is, is that when those coins are liquidated, it's called they burn those coins. And so what happens is the collateral is released and it's a self-liquidating entity. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of basic, but it's so basic in a way that it's a strong risk mitigant to any kind of uh, breaking the buck scenario like we just saw. Justin, do you want the last minute for the last question that you want to answer? Or I actually you... can't read them. Okay, no worries. <laughs> um, well played. <laughs> I definitely can't. Oh, what is the layer one blockchain for Stellar? Uh, Stellar is a layer one blockchain. So Stellar is its own uh, has its own consensus mechanism. It's its own blockchain. Um, Circle also has USDC AB 
e which one to use. Um, Circle has also issued USDC across multiple chains, so Ethereum, uh, Algorand, a, a few others. And I think that the, the great thing about the world that we're entering into now in the blockchain space is that assets like Circle that interoperate across blockchains are actually just connecting blockchains that serve different purposes. Like when I was saying before, Ripple and Stellar aren't actually, there's no dichotomy, there's no at odds. It's true of other blockchains too, right? They serve different purposes and this asset exists across all of them and it still has that same underlying mechanism where you can mint and burn by depositing and withdrawing. Um, but on e its existence on each actual blockchain is, uh, is sort of tooled by the utility of that blockchain. For Stellar's case, I think it's for payments, which is why this is such a good match. And we're not going anywhere. So if you guys have other questions, we're going to hang around afterwards. And you can meet us in the hallway, or, 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 and we'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks.